Hello, I'm Darlene. And I'm Melody. The sources that Darlene consulted for this episode are a book called The Meaning of Our Tears by Trudy Smith and newspaper accounts from newspapers.com. She researched from and verified from several other sources, too many to list in this intro, but we will have those listed for you on our website. Credit for our intro and outro music goes to Isaiah Hildreth. And I just want to warn you that today's episode is very heavy. It contains graphic details and the murder of children. It may not be appropriate for, for sensitive or young listeners. You're listening to Hard Times and True Crimes. In those days, Christmas was homemade, and we made lifelong memories. Christmas Day, 1929, was a memory I'll never forget, but always wish I could. It was the coldest, snowiest winter I had ever seen in Germantown, North Carolina, and the snow came early that year. I hung my stocking on the fireplace the night before, and my folks filled it with whatever they could afford. I got an apple and some nuts, a coin, and a homemade scarf. Now, I don't think I was any less excited for those gifts than kids today opening hundreds of dollars worth of toys. The old man read us the Christmas story from the book of Luke that morning. We went sledding for a while before getting ready to go to church for the Christmas program. Later that afternoon, me and the old man were supposed to go rabbit hunting, something we did together every Christmas. But plans changed that year. On Christmas morning, Elijah Lawson and two of his sons had just finished rabbit hunting and decided to stop by to wish his brother Charlie and family a Merry Christmas. Charlie and his wife Fanny had seven kids, so that cabin was a noisy place. But Elijah noticed walking up on the porch that it was eerily quiet. He knocked on the door. Nobody answered. He tried to open it. Something was blocking the way and he couldn't get in. He yelled out, but nobody came to the door. And so finally, he decided to peek in the window. What he saw was a horrifying scene of blood and bodies all over the floor. Oh, wow. That's a discovery. Yeah. He knew that one of them was his sister-in-law, Fanny, and it was her feet, actually, that were blocking the way. Elijah thought that he heard something upstairs, but he still wasn't sure, you know, who all the victims were. The only one he knew for sure was Fanny. So he heard somebody upstairs. Possibly whoever has done this could be up there still. Right. Rather than, you know, going up there by themselves, there was a murderer on the loose. They Mm -hmm. knew that they needed to go get help. Yeah. They gathered neighbors and family before going back to the cabin. When they got back and went inside, it was far worse than what they'd imagined. Inside, they found the dead bodies of 37-year-old Fanny, Charlie's wife, and four of their seven children. There was 17-year-old Marie, 4-year-old James, 2-year-old Raymond, and 4-month-old Mary Lou. I know, the babies. Yeah. They sent a neighbor who had a phone to call the sheriff in the coroner. Charlie's brother stood guard and wouldn't let anyone inside the house. They were all worried about Charlie, though. He was missing, and so were two of his daughters. Right. Everybody hoped that they were, you know, maybe somewhere visiting for Christmas 
Or maybe they'd, the girls had somehow managed to escape and were out hiding in the woods. They were afraid to come out. Yeah. Charlie's oldest son, 16-year-old Arthur, wasn't there either. But his uncles found out that he'd gone down to the store with his cousin to get ammunition for their rabbit hunt later that afternoon. Mm. They sent a close family friend to bring Arthur home and to give him the news about his family. He could not believe it at first. He hadn't been gone from the house any longer than an hour. The men decided they would not venture too far out in the woods to look for anybody. It was just too dangerous. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have either. Even the sheriff was like, I am not. No, I'm not going out there. They really didn't understand, you know, what was going on still. All they knew was that five helpless people had been brutally murdered. Everybody started, you know, looking all over the property to find anything or anybody. Okay, so the mom and four children are in the home dead. Yes. And the son is at the store and two daughters and dad are missing. Yes. So when they were out looking over the property, because, you know, they were thinking he may have been murdered somewhere else. They were just looking they didn't everywhere. Know. Right. They did not want to go in the woods. So um, they started looking all around. They went over by the tobacco barn and noticed blood. When they went inside, sadly, they found the bodies of 12-year-old Carrie Lou and 7-year-old Maybell. The sheriff and the coroner were not prepared for what they saw when they got there. Oh, Darlene, this one is already hurting my heart. It's yeah. a heavy case. So when the coroner and the sheriff got there, the fireplace was still going and the bodies were still warm. In front of the fireplace, in a big pool of blood, they found Marie's combs that she'd used to fix her hair just that morning. And her raisin cake that she had baked for the family was still sitting on the counter, cooling and ready to be iced. Mm. I know. But they wanted to bring the little girls inside with their family. Yeah. They went out and got them and brought them in. News travels fast in a small town, even though there was six to eight inches of snow on the ground that morning, and it was literally freezing. A large crowd was congregated outside. Was there any concern that by dragging the, the bringing the girls' bodies into the house that they were messing up a crime scene out there by moving those bodies? They did wait till the coroner and the sheriff got there. Okay, so they um, had already. Yeah. Okay. They did wait for them. Okay. So I think they thought that it would be fine. Actually, it was the coroner and the sheriff's decision that to bring that. them in. Yeah. Okay. You know, men are outside standing around with their guns, mm, yeah. not really knowing who to blame. Poor Arthur. The surviving son was sitting in a chair in front of a fire that his uncles had built. He was shaking and crying, probably in shock. His neighbors and family were trying to comfort him. I mean, but what could they say? Mm -mm, Nothing. They had him wrapped up in quilts, trying to keep him warm and just, you know, doing all they could for him. Yeah. And at this point, he's the only child that's alive. Yes. He's the only surviving child. Goodness gracious. About five hours after the murders, Charlie's two hunting dogs ran up to where the men were, but they quickly ran back into the woods. And then all of a sudden, a single shot rang out. Mm, I know where this is going. Yeah. The sheriff and the other men followed the sound of the barking dogs into a pine thicket. There, they found Charlie Lawson's dead body. He had been killed from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the chest. 
So I had had some hope earlier that maybe he had just been out hunting too. I know. And while that when this happened, but yeah, it doesn't sound like it now. His two beagles, Sam and Queen, were beside him and had stayed out there with him all that time. You know, it had been like five hours. Yeah. And they were faithful to the end. A note fell out of his pocket that read, no one to blame but I. The community was in shock. How could this have happened? Two years ago, Charlie had gone from a sharecropper to owning his own land and becoming a successful tobacco farmer. He owned his home, and even in hard times, Charlie had always provided for his family. He was described as being a good neighbor, sober, honest, considerate, and especially kind to his family. Charlie and Fanny had been married 19 years. Fanny had been a good wife. She was kind, hospitable, easygoing, and she really enjoyed her family. They married in the spring of 1911, and in three years, they had three babies. That's a lot at one time. It is. And then they went on to have five more children together. Mm, Which, not uncommon during those times. No, that was pretty typical. Mm -hmm. Now, their third child, whose name was William, got sick with a cold that turned into pneumonia, and he he sadly passed away when he was just six years old. Oh, that's very um, tragic already. I know. Yeah. Now, that wasn't really uncommon. No, it wasn't. But that doesn't make it any easier. No, and it makes us grateful for the medical care that we have today, because I know a lot of kids died earlier back then. Right. Well, you and I had the opportunity last weekend to -hmm. go to the cemetery, actually, where he was buried. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you and I both noticed was how many children there were. So many child graves that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a very solemn visit, wasn't it? It was. For years, Charlie had been a sharecropper, farming tobacco on someone else's land. Those were the hard years. Sharecropping meant making a deal with a landowner. They'd provide a plot of land, seed, and tools to farm. They'd also provide some kind of housing, usually an old shack. The sharecropper worked and farmed the land and grew the crop. He'd take the tobacco to market in August and try to get the best price possible because he only got paid once a year, and he had to give half of the profit to the landlord. Yeah, I I can't imagine trying to live on just getting paid once a year. Oh, I know. And then giving, you know, having to give half of that away, Mm -mm. if there was a profit at all. Because, you know, good crops depended on the weather, Mm -hmm. the soil, uh, hornworms. And then even if the growing season was perfect, there could be a huge drop in market prices. Yeah. And none of those things they had control over. Right. So you can imagine being a being a farmer back then was not only backbreaking, but very stressful. Mm -hmm. You never knew how much if if it would pay off at all. I guess that's where we get to say in feast or famine. You know what? That's probably true. That was a cycle that usually kept poor farmers in poverty. Mm -hmm. It was nearly impossible to save enough money to buy their own land. Charlie's brothers, Marion and Elijah, moved from Lawsonville to Germantown. Charlie and his family followed them there shortly after. Germantown was ideal for tobacco farming. For one thing, it was a lot closer to Winston-Salem, and that was, you know, the center for tobacco trade back then. So farmers like Charlie hauled their harvest to the warehouses and sold during season. Germantown's land 
was also better for Groen than what they'd had access to in Lawsonville. Plus, Charlie and his family were close with his brothers, Marion and Elijah, and their families. Charlie's niece, Stella Lawson, later recalled how much fun she would have when she spent the night at her Uncle Charlie's house with their cousins. She said she was always welcome there, but Uncle Charlie would never let his kids spend the night anywhere, not even at his brother's house with her. After years of hard work, Charlie had the opportunity to buy 114 acres on Brook Cove Road. You and I also went there. We did. And that was in Germantown as well. He borrowed $3,200 from Wachovia Bank and Trust in Winston-Salem. His payments were $500 a year. The cabin on the property was hundreds of years old. It was in awful shape. Charlie felt bad about that. And he told Fanny that as soon as he could afford it, he was going to build her a modern house. He did buy her a really nice new stove that she was very proud of. Mary was 15 when they moved to the farm, so she was old enough to help her mom get the cabin fixed up enough to feel like home. That's my dog snoring. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie and their son Arthur worked on the outside on repairs, like, you know, fixing up the old barns around the property so that they could be ready to store tobacco leaves at at harvest. Mm -hmm. One day, Charlie was trying to pull out some rotten wood when the mattock he was working with slipped and hit him in the head. Oh. Yeah. You know how head wounds are? Yeah, they they bleed a lot. Yes. Did did he do enough to make him self-bleed? Okay. He was pouring. I mean, I think it was really scary. They didn't go to the doctor very often back then, but he um, he went. But they had no way to do CT scans or anything like that. And so, you know, they just looked at it and told him he's going to be fine. The wound didn't look that bad. So I guess they were thinking, you know, you're good. Send you back out in the field. That's exactly what happened, too. Someone who saw him a few days later actually said that one whole side of his face was black. Oh, wow. So, so like the whole side of his face was like a big bruise. Right. So he was probably like, like that head injury was bleeding inside too. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Wow. But the work must go on. That's right. You got to survive. They're farmers. And so the whole family worked really hard that year. They had just got that property. So, you know, stopping was not really an option. Mm -hmm. Charlie even had the little kids out there working, but it was paying off. He was able to grow better quality tobacco, and he started making a pretty good profit at selling time. Around that time, people started to notice a change in Charlie. He'd always been a little quick-tempered when he got aggravated, you know, like normal dads did back. (laughs) Yeah, frustrated, snap it, yeah. Fanny told her sisters-in-law that Charlie was having severe headaches, that he couldn't sleep at night. He'd been having these crying spells out of the blue. She said he'd get up in the middle of the night and check his guns to make sure that they were loaded and clean. Oh, it definitely sounds like he had a head injury. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. She said that he was getting paranoid and accusing Arthur of messing with his guns. Mm -hmm. She woke up one night and he was sitting out in the field in the dark, holding a gun while kneeling down, hysterically crying and praying. Oh, good gracious. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I would not have went out there to check on him. I probably wouldn't have let him back in the house. (laughs) I know, but poor Fanny, what was she supposed to do? I know. What resources, you know, did she have? Right. She didn't have any. He did go to the doctor for insomnia and headaches, but I don't 
know that they were able to do anything or get really get to the bottom of it. And I seriously doubt that he told him about any of the mental health issues. Right. That incident probably gave him a concussion. I don't know. Did they not know about a concussion back then or, or whatever? I don't know. I, d- I doubt it. Yeah. And now we know that those things really can, the problems can manifest mm-hmm. a lot later. Yeah. And can affect your personality. Yes. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And they were saying that one minute, Charlie would be playing around with the kids and, you know, just picking and having a good time. The next minute, he was just completely losing it. Charlie and his son, Arthur, worked a lot together in the fields. You know, one day, things kind of came to a head between the two of them. Arthur had made a mistake and Charlie blew up at him. And he actually went after Arthur. He was like, you know, he was older. He was like 15. Mm -hmm. And he got this big switch and he came after, Ar- you know, came after Arthur with it. Arthur let his dad know that day that those days were over. Oh. And that he was not going to be whipping him then or ever again. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I don't blame him for that. Um, right. I mean, you know, he's out there working like a man. Right. So he wants to be treated like a man. Yes. Not like a child and with being switched. Exactly. I mean, he was a grown, you know, yeah. that's crazy. And then a rumor came up after the murders that Charlie was acting or he had been acting erratic and abusive at home towards his family. Mm. And that Arthur had started sleeping in his clothes in case he needed to run for help. Hmm. I wonder if there's any validity to that rumor. I don't know. I mean, the rumor also said that Arthur was the only one that had control of his dad when he got like that. But you know how it is sometimes whenever these big things happen and then later people come back and say a lot of different things. Right. Everybody's got an opinion after the fact. And there wasn't a, I didn't ever find a direct source. So it was just like, these were the rumors. Once during this time, Charlie ran his mouth to a man at a tobacco warehouse in Winston Salem and the man stabbed him. Whoa. Yes. That escalated quickly. That escalated very quickly. (laughs) But honestly, like, he kind of deserved it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Not that I wanted him to get stabbed, but he was he was really vicious and mean. Mm. So he was in the hospital for a while, and he could have died. It was a serious injury. Mm. But he recovered and got out. Now, other times, he was just as sweet as ever, especially with his wife, Fanny. During her pregnancy with the last baby, Mary Lou, she was really weak Mm-hmm. I think her health was really starting to deteriorate. She was, you know, 37 and had had eight pregnancies. Eight, right. And several miscarriages. Oh, so more than eight pregnancies. Yes. Yeah, that takes it out of you. And, it does. and she was only 37 I know. and had that many. Yeah. Over those years, it just, I'm sure that depletes a lot oh, of yeah. your, you know, energy and your mental capacity. And your iron and just so many things. Yeah, exactly. And so she was really experienced in a lot of those problems. Yeah. But he was, you know, really tender towards her during that time. He waited on her. He had the kids help her with her chores. And he even would help her wash her hair. Okay. So I have a, like, trying to reconcile those two sides of Charlie. I know. It's like he's mean and running his mouth out in town and, and, jumping on his son, trying to switch him, and then being that tender with his wife. It's just like he's two different people. That's what I think that's what living him living with him was, was like. like. So uh, 
Well, you may get to this. I won't ask that question yet. Go ahead. A week before Christmas of 1929, Charlie told his family he had a Christmas surprise for them, and they were going to get part of it that day. He loaded Fanny and all seven of their children into his old truck and drove them into Winston-Salem to have a family picture made. But first, they were all going to the store and everyone was getting a brand new set of clothes. Oh, nice surprise. I know. The picture was a little bit odd to a lot of people who knew them, I think especially after what had happened, Mm -hmm. um, because having their picture made was a luxury, you know, that farmers couldn't really afford. Right, right. It would have been extravagant. And I'm sure all of his new clothes. That Yes, that that would have been very costly and totally out of the norm. So I'm sure it seemed really nice, like a great surprise. But now, yeah. I don't know. But like in that moment, I mm-hmm. just think about how excited Lee Marie, she was 17, yeah. and Arthur, who was 16, and then, you know, little 12-year-old Carrie, they were such good-looking kids in the prime of their lives. And you know what it's like. Yeah. You have friends and crushes. You want to look good and right. be in style. Oh, yeah, yeah. So new clothes, I think, at those ages are so special. They are, yeah. And they were allowed to pick out whatever clothes they wanted. Nice, so nice. you've seen the picture. I have. In this picture, a few things stand out to me. Okay, first, is there anything that stands out to you? Back then, in pictures, nobody smiled. Right. But some of them looked especially unhappy. They did. And I think the one that really stood out the most to me was the little boy all slumped. He was slumped down in the seat. Like, I don't know, like maybe they just said, you better sit up here and get this picture and quit acting like that or I'm going to pop your tail. Right. (laughs) Like he had just gotten reprimanded. And so he's kind of just slunk down in his clothes and in his seat. And he's kind of got that little face. And it's, yeah. Yeah. That's the one that that my eye was drawn to. That stood out to you. Okay. Yeah. I noticed several, um, several different things. Well, first, Marie to me was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. She kind of embodied that classic 20s look. Yeah. And I love that bob. Um, and Arthur, he was really a good-looking boy. Mm-hmm. And poor Fanny, oh. 37 years old, but she just looks so tired. Uh, she looks older than her years. But back, I mean, she's a pretty woman, too. She's very oh, yeah. beautiful. But back then, you looked older than oh, what yeah. you look now. Like, at 37 now, you just look younger than at 37 then. I think so, but too. You Life was hard. It was. And you can see the fatigue on her face. You can. Now, Carrie, she was the only one... In the picture that was possibly smiling. Mm-hmm. I can't tell. There was a little sliver of a smile there. Mm-hmm. And the little boys, they're so cute. But like you said, they look like, really? Why are, why are we here? <laughs> yeah. And the dad, to me, this is probably going to be very controversial because everybody says he looks like he's smirking. You know what I mean? Like, this is my family. I'll do what I want with them uh, kind of look. Yeah. But to me... If I did not know what know. I know, to me, he looks like he's, there's like a sense of pride there. Yeah. And I think you, it's easy to, in hindsight, say, oh, he's got that smirk because he's going to do this. But how many men in pictures back then may have looked like that and they didn't kill their families? So right. it's probably more what you say, you know, I, again, in hindsight, it might be easy to look back and think that, but we just, we don't know what was really what he was thinking at that moment, I guess. I agree. 
I have a picture. I showed this to you the other day of my Nana's family from mm-hmm. the same time period. And they all look just as miserable. Right. I think that was just the look. I mean, no, I guess nobody was standing there saying, say cheese. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even the kids, they looked yeah. absolutely <laughs> miserable. This is just a funny side note. Any mom listening right now, if you've tried to get a family picture and we're all trying to make our children smile and quit whining and stand up straight and look at the camera, you know, all the things. And then you snap a dozen pictures until you get that perfect one where everyone's smiling perfectly. And, you know, just seconds before they were all yelling at each other. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so maybe back then they just didn't get to the point where everybody's smiling. They just snapped the picture. Right. Right. <laughs> I think that's exactly what was going on back then. Yeah. And, you know, they I don't think they faked smiles like we no. do today. Those were hard times and you see it in yes. their faces. Exactly. Now, a lot has been made over the fact that Marie and Charlie are standing in the middle together. Some people say that it almost makes them look like a couple instead of Charlie and Fanny. Uh, I mean, I think that's a reach. Mm -hmm. Personally, again, in my Nana's family picture, my grandpa is standing nowhere near my grandma. It's likely that they stood, you know, wherever the photographer told them to stand. That's what I would think, yeah. They weren't used to being photographed either. And so it was probably kind of awkward. Yeah, it's awkward to me now. And I'm photographed all the time because we know what happens it's easy to go back and see things that maybe aren't there and i mean maybe they are also arthur's eyes look really creepy oh yeah i think that was just a photography problem you know i I guess the flash didn't i don't know but they look like they're white they had blue eyes Mm -hmm. and so probably blue eyes with black and white picture just didn't photograph well uh with the technology that they had or right. their limited technology. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think he was really like, you know, had no soul. Demon possessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they weren't red, so he didn't look demon possessed. But <laughs> right. like you said, just an empty soul. Yeah. <laughs> so Christmas of 1929 was unseasonably cold and snowy. It started out like a typical Christmas for the Lawsons. Marie got up and made her signature raisin cake that she made every year. She was going to the church Christmas program later that evening with her brother, Arthur, and her boyfriend, whose name was Charlie, too. Carrie and Maybell, they were going to trek through the snow to their uncle Elijah's house to wish them a Merry Christmas. Mm. Arthur, he was visiting with his cousin and getting ready to go rabbit hunting. He needed some more bullets for the hunt, so Charlie sent him to the store for some ammunition. Charlie knew that his girls were getting ready to walk to Elijah's house. So after Arthur and his cousin left, he got his double-barreled 12-gauge shotgun and a 12-gauge single-barrel shotgun and went out to the tobacco barn to wait for Carrie and Maybell to pass by on their way to his brother's. When the girls got close enough, he stepped out and ambushed them, no. shooting Carrie first. Maybell screamed and started to run back towards the house. He quickly shot at her, Mm. but the gun didn't fire. So he grabbed the other gun and shot her through the lung. Neither of the girls were dead. It didn't kill them? No. So he picked up a piece of wood from the ground and bludgeoned them in the back of the head. Oh, my goodness. 
Then he drugged the girls back into the tobacco barn, put rocks under their heads like pillows. He crossed their arms over their chests and closed their eyes. What what is he even doing? How what, do you okay. bludgeon yeah. your daughters and then you're like, let me Yeah, I like I'm trying them to sweetly wrap my mind around that because it's like the two sides of Charlie. After that, he took his gun and he started back toward the house. Fanny was up on the porch getting some firewood. She turned toward him so she must have saw what he was going to do. She screamed out, and then Charlie shot his wife. Marie heard the shot and screams from her mother. She, of course, ran to the door to see what was going on. Charlie walked through the door and aimed his gun at her. Really quickly, she grabbed the fire poker, but before she had a chance to do anything with it, he aimed his gun and shot her. It's just really tragic that they see him coming. Like, I know. This was... You know what I'm saying? They they can see it, and in their mind, they know that he is right. coming for them. He shot her at such a close range that her neck snapped and that her teeth were, some of her teeth were broken. But surprisingly, it did not kill her right away. That is very surprising. You would just think with a, yeah. a blast from a shotgun would, would, at that close of a range, and especially if it did that much damage right. to her. But it didn't. So he walks over to her and hits her as hard as he can with the butt of his gun Mm. and kills her. By this time, of course, the two little boys know exactly what's going on. Yeah, this is killing me here. Yeah, this is to me, this is the saddest part of the whole story. Of course, they've, you know, ran away and they've hid from their dad. I cannot imagine. I don't know if they knew about Fanny, but, you know, they definitely knew about Marie. Mm -hmm. And some sources say that she had actually told them to go and hide. So the terror those babies must have felt in that moment. Mm -hmm. Raymond, he was actually behind the stove. So his dad walks over there and he tries digging him out from behind the stove with his gun. I do not like these details, this graphic. I I don't like that, Starling. I know. It's so sad. Well, he couldn't get him out that way, so he tries, like, moving. Like, he tries every which way to get him out. Some people say that he was able to, like, talk him out, like, coax him out that way. I'm not exactly sure, but somehow he got him out enough that he was able to, instead of shooting him, he hit him in the head, bludgeoned him to death with his gun. How could anybody do that to their own babies, their own children? I mean, how could you do it to anybody but your own children? Like, what even is in your mind that you can do that? Right. And, you know, it's so graphic. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Also, I wonder how they know the details that, like, that he may have tried to talk him out. Like, how would they know that since nobody that was there is alive? Okay. Well, (laughs) here's an interesting tidbit. So, now, sources vary on this, but in the book... Uh, was that the White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, or the meaning of our tears? The meaning of our tears. Okay. So in the meaning of our tears, um, Trudy actually interviews someone who was supposedly there. Okay. Who was that? It was actually a, like a boyfriend. Uh, not a boyfriend, but I guess somebody who like had a crush on Marie. Mm-hmm. And so supposedly he was there visiting with her. I don't know. How did he get away? The book says that Charlie actually saw him 
gave him a look like, you know, you better go ahead and go. And so he did. Do you believe that? I have a hard time believing it. I mean, I want to. And I I really enjoy Trudy Smith's, you know, writing so much. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that she believes that. So Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to discredit her in any way. But I just personally don't know if I believe it because, okay, I said that she interviewed him. Mm -hmm. She didn't interview him. She actually interviewed his caregiver who gave those details. And and I I don't know the lady. Like, maybe she's super trustworthy it just seems okay. So when you, that when you say caregiver, okay. so was this when he was older? This is when he was older. So yeah. This, so this is an account coming from a caregiver from supposedly an older gentleman who supposedly was there at the time. Yes. So really, it's a lot of speculation. Oh yeah. And it's one person or coming through the grapevine. Yes. Supposedly one person's account, but we really don't know that for sure. No. And that's why whenever if it's something like that, mm-hmm. then I'll say some sources say yes, or I'll say it's rumored that I really try not to say it like it's fact. I try to go by um, newspaper articles mm-hmm. and not only, you know, some newspaper articles has have, you know, different, you yes. know, they, different stories. So I really try to like if it's multiple sources that say right. the same thing. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's kind of what I try to. I think it's like uh, we've talked about before that case being so sensational during that time. Yes. That a lot of people came out of the woodwork, maybe, right. to give their take on it or their opinion or maybe air quotes their um, firsthand account or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of okay. my opinion. I'm, I'm following. <laughs> so as far as those things go, we don't know. Well, we do know that, like Marie, I'm yes. sure that Marie did. Yes. She had the fire, po- you know. Yeah, it was at her face and it was close range. Yes. She had to have seen, yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, let me say this, though. We do know that he was hiding mm-hmm. behind the stove. Half of his body, whenever they found him, mm-hmm. half of his body was found still behind the stove. So we know that he so was So we do there. know that. That's fact. Yes. Okay. Oh, goodness. That, th- yeah. that just makes me feel s- like that hurts my heart so much. And we do know that the other little boy was under the trundle bed. Oh. So hiding from his dad. And then his dad walks in there, pulls him out from under the bed, and bludgeons him to death as well. Yeah. It's just too much to take in, really. It is. And then he still wasn't finished because he goes to his four-month-old daughter, Mary Lou's crib. He hits her in her head until... She dies. I just don't have words. I'm sorry. Have nothing to add there. Yeah. So just a quick recap. He has murdered his two daughters in the barn, shot them, and then bludgeoned them. He came back to the house and killed his wife, shot her through the heart. And then he shot his daughter, Marie, bludgeoned her. And then he bludgeoned his three younger children. Okay. James, Raymond, and Mary Lou. So he's on a rampage. And it's interesting to note that as violently as he killed his family, he went out of his way not to damage their faces. This next part, you know, is crazy, too, because Charlie dragged Fanny from off the porch back into the house. And then he went up to the loft and got pillows and put pillows under each each of his family members head that he had just so violently murdered. He crossed their arms over their chests. And he closed their eyes. I wonder what 
his purpose of in that was? I have no idea. Like, I keep trying to reason, like, yeah. his insanity, and I don't know. Just given what we know about murderers and stuff. And so we, we hear how if somebody's close to their victim, sometime mm-hmm. they, sometimes they will do those types of things. Right. And he was obviously, this is his family. But reconciling that with the, the brutal manner of the murders, like you right. just said, that is very hard to to try to understand or to grasp like what what was in his mind what was his purpose in that i don't i don't know it's a, it's that's this is a really i don't know confusing case i think yeah it is and later on i'll go i'll go kind of go into what my opinion is and maybe make a little bit of sense of that i mean it's not okay. going to make any sense but okay you know, but maybe you what he was thinking that, okay right do you remember in the beginning of the story when his brother Elijah had just discovered the murders and he heard something upstairs? Yes. Okay, so I think that that was Charlie up there in the loft getting those pillows. I think okay. he was still there. Yeah. Okay. And then I, as soon as he heard Elijah, mm-hmm. you know, when Elijah left to go get help, mm-hmm. I believe then Charlie left. Yeah. So they somewhat surprised him, possibly. And, I believe so. Okay. And so then um, I wonder what would have happened had they chosen to go upstairs and caught him in the act of that like i wonder if he would have you know immediately confessed and broken down or if he had tried to kill them or if he would have just i don't know killed himself or something it makes you wonder what would have happened had one little detail on that story happened differently oh i know he probably would have killed them or yeah or at least shot at them and tried to i believe so Charlie took his dogs and his shotguns, and, you know, we know after that he went out into those pines. And I believe the whole time that he'd planned to kill himself. But for some reason, it took him a very long time to go through with it. They do know that he was out there for at least five hours. Mm-hmm. And they found this worn circle over where he had killed himself, where he had just walked around, just kind of paced around and around and around. He also wrote that little note that said, no one to blame but I. And then later, there was another incomplete note found that said, troubles can cause. But it was never finished. Troubles can cause what? Yeah, Charlie. Troubles <laughs> can cause what? You right. two go off the deep end and murder your family? Like, and what? What troubles? What troubles? I right. he was going to leave a note. I wish he had been a little bit more detailed. Tell me about it. <laughs> so... What were the troubles that caused Charlie to murder his entire family on that Christmas day? Here are a few theories. That's my dog. (laughs) One was that he was actually having really bad financially problems. Now, this is a theory. I read a newspaper article that said papers were strewn about his body. Some tobacco bills. One said that he'd marketed a lot of weed this past fall. I have no idea what that means. Okay, I don't know if weed is like another word for tobacco or if it's like, I don't know. I have no idea what that meant. But we're going to assume it's not marijuana weed. Exactly. (laughs) We'll just make that assumption. And then also there was a maternity bill for $58 that there, there were supposedly lots of other bills laying around. So I don't know. Some say that he was really fearful of this recession. Was it Black Friday? Yeah, in yeah. 1929. Right. Had just happened that mm-hmm. October. Yeah. So just a couple of months before. Just a couple of months before. And although they wouldn't have been affected by that immediately, those mm-hmm. farmers, 
Yeah, they would have seen it coming, maybe, because I'm sure the papers and everything were already covering what was going on in the world. Right. Yeah. The assumption is that he had just pulled himself, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of from the bottom and that he knew that he'd probably lose everything again and he didn't want his family to go through that again. I'm pondering that, but I don't I don't see the the reason to be so brutal about it, even uh, if yeah. if you were trying to protect your family yes. from hard times such as that. Right. While you would put them through something so brutal. I, I that agree. just doesn't really add up. Makes no sense. No. Others say that he was in a uh, his place was actually almost paid off and that he was planning to build Fanny that newer modern home soon. Um, Paper speculated that he might have been working really hard, too hard, and that that lack of sleep and just that worry and, you know, trying to do so much so fast Mm -hmm. may have really affected his mental health. I don't know if I believe that either. I don't either. I mean, I know they just had a new baby and uh, everything. And and now maybe you're hearing about the the depressions getting ready to happen or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it just still seems like a reach to do what he did. Right. It was very violent. Yeah. Others blamed it on a possible illness. He had just recently been suffering with some debilitating arthritic pain. And he had actually gone to the doctor for that. And apparently he was in so much pain sometimes that he physically could not work. Okay. To me, I mean, you hear of people who live with chronic pain. I do mm-hmm. think that that can drive you almost to the brink of insanity. Or I do. It. And I could see why he might would take his own life, but his family. But why everybody else's, yeah. But back then, I think people were really, men especially, were really worried about their families Mm -hmm. and how if they were, if he were to take his own life, what would his family do? How would they survive? Because they didn't necessarily have a, a provider. Right. If he's gone. Right. Yeah. So still, though. The the violence. Right. Doesn't it just doesn't add up. Now, the most popular and scandalous theory out there is this. Um, a member of the family, actually his niece Stella Lawson, came forward in the nineties and said that as a small child she overheard her Aunt Fanny telling her mother, which would have been Fanny's sister in law, that she was concerned about an incestual relationship between her husband, Charlie, and their oldest daughter, Marie. Okay. And so the motive would be that he would be found out for that? Well, another person came forward and said that she was she had told them that she was pregnant by oh. her father. Oh. And that both of her parents knew. Somebody else came forward and said that he had actually told her That if she told her mother or anybody else that there would, quote, be some killing done. So are these people that are coming forward, are those credible sources? You know, I don't know. Uh, It's kind of one of those things. It all came out much, much later. Like Mm -hmm. I said, in the 90s, this happened in the 20s. So this happened in the 1920s and it came out. And just in the 1990s? Yes. Oh, okay. So, you know, I don't know. So 70 years later. Right. And Stella Lawson that said she had overheard her mother and Fanny talking about that. She was only eight years old at the time of the murders, and her mother had died a year before that. So she would have been much younger. She would have been very, very young. 
So sometimes you have to wonder, like, is, is a child a credible source? Right. Not to say that she was wrong and didn't overhear that, but at that young of an age, would she even have understood what she was hearing? If And if her memory 70 years later was actually correct? So, right. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying she's not a credible source, but right. that, I don't know if a court of law would treat that as a credible source. So. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that women talked about those kinds of things back in those days. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I feel like that would have been very hush-hush. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. And I'm not saying that she's lying. And I, again, I believe that Trudy Smith really believes her. So I'm not trying to discredit her. In my opinion, even if he was sexually abusing her, I don't know that that's a motive for murdering the family like he did. But I don't think that was super uncommon. Right. And I think it probably would have been swept under the rug. Mm, yeah, most likely. Like, I'm sure lots of people back then got away with that. And people would know about it. And like you said, it'd just be hush hush. Right. People just did not talk about those things, you know, mm-hmm. in those days. Unfortunately, yeah. Now, as far as the pregnancy rumor, I don't think she was pregnant. I, I don't know that for sure. But I don't because they did an autopsy. Now, I don't think they did them as thoroughly as they do now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So if they did not already suspect uh, an incestuous relationship, they would maybe have had no reason to check for a pregnancy. Is that what you mean? Right. Okay. Yeah. Some people say that that picture, the family picture, she looks like she's pregnant, and I don't think she does. Okay. Can you even tell with clothes back then how they fit? If like, Would it be noticeable? I mean, Early I, on? I, there's just a lot of speculation. There's just so much speculation. We'll never know. I think that's kind of what makes this case. It's a terrible case, but it is fascinating mm-hmm. because there are just so many unanswered questions. Right. So an autopsy was performed the night of the murders. The coroner came out and said he didn't find any evidence that Charlie had any brain damage or abnormalities. That perplexes me because I kind of feel like... The brain injury may have played a big part in this. I do, too. Now, I don't know. But, you know, I don't know the science in oh, the 1920s either. and how advanced. Like what they can really tell. Exactly. So the sheriff's brother happened to be visiting. This is really interesting. He came all the way in from Maryland. He was visiting Germantown for Christmas. He had just finished his residency as a surgeon at Johns Hopkins. So he was there and was able to help out with the autopsy. Okay. They actually removed Charlie's brain. They put it in a jar and, you know, kept it in formaldehyde and took it to Johns Hopkins to be studied. Well, that's exactly what I would have done. Because, (laughs) like, I would like to know what is going on with this guy's brain. Right. Well, they still did not find any brain abnormalities. That is fascinating to me. Right. It's like, really? How could you not? There has to be something. The only thing that they said was that his brain was actually like a little bit smaller than normal. I mean, just a little bit. And I don't know what that would have looked like. But they also said that he had a tiny bit of slow degeneration or something in his brain. You know, maybe like an Alzheimer's thing. Mm -hmm. But they didn't think enough that it would have caused any of this. That's pretty interesting. I wish they could go back today and study it and see if if that's still their conclusion oh yeah me too well now we know that it it could have been you know illness yeah yeah it could have been schizophrenia it could have been any number of things 
I feel like there had to have been some type of mental illness there. Like I said, there was like the two Charlies. Right. There, there are just accounts of being two different people. And I just, there has to be something. He loved his wife. I believe that. And then he so brutally yes. murdered her. So it just and doesn't make kids. any sense. Melody and I had the opportunity last Saturday to go to the Browder Family Cemetery where the Lawsons are buried. They are actually buried in an 18 by 9 mass grave and about a mile from where the murders actually took place. I was shocked to learn that more than 5,000 people attended that service. Wow. I don't even know how they would fit because that was not a big cemetery. It was tiny. Yes. But they say that it was packed. There were vehicles, they said, on both sides of the road for like three miles. It was a simple service officiated by a primitive Baptist elder and 5,000 voices sang Jesus, lover of my soul, in unison. Yeah, that gets you. That (laughs) That does. Yeah. The funeral was terrible for Arthur. He fell to his knees in the middle of the service and cried uncontrollably, having to say goodbye to his family. And his uncle, Marion, they said, was right down there with him and just hugged him and just cried and loved on him. And it was an open casket. And everybody just commented on how beautiful they all looked like they could not believe that they were so brutally murdered Mm -hmm. because they just looked like angels. Wow. That was intentional. He intentionally did not mess with their faces which is yeah because to um he knew what he was planning to do i'm sure you know it makes me think he told me had a surprise for him for christmas Mm -hmm. that that was your surprise i mean that's just that's almost a cruel that is a cruelty and they took him to get those new clothes it's almost like in the back of his mind he wanted to preserve their faces and wanted them to have nice clothes for their burial and that is just um, too much, too much to take in. That how how could he do this? And it does certainly sound like he planned it. It does. Like he didn't just snap that day and decide. Um, it's hard to reconcile. It really is. And they were buried in those clothes that he just bought for them. And like you said, I definitely believe that that was the plan all yeah. along. So Arthur said goodbye to his family. Can you imagine the survivor's guilt that he was left with? No. So why why do you think his dad spared him? Well, I have been pondering that. My personal opinion is Arthur's already a teenager. He's a big boy. Right. Looking in those pictures even. And he's already stood up to his dad that one time you said when he was trying to go after him with mm-hmm. a switch. And he stood up and said, no more of this. Right. I think his dad um, knew he could not overpower him. And just wanted him out of the way so that he could not be stopped. I I think he was just afraid that Arthur could put a stop to it. I don't know, because I feel like he could have coaxed him out to the barn first. Possibly. And killed him. He could have killed him in his sleep. Your theory is the same. A lot of people feel that same way. But he could have made a way if he wanted to kill Arthur. I don't think he wanted to kill him. So, yeah. So what's your theory? My theory is that in his sick mind, I know how brutally he killed his family, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that he was not right in the head. I don't know if he just really wanted to die himself. A family member overheard him say, 
at his sister-in-law's funeral that he wouldn't mind dying if he could take his family with him. Mm. So I don't know if he just thought he was like protecting them from poverty or for whatever was to come. I don't think he thought they could they could survive without him. But Arthur could. I'm I'm thinking through that one. What about the baby though? The 4-month-old baby, somebody surely would have taken in the baby and raised it and it would have been fine. They would, but these men who do this, they're selfish. Yeah. You know, he's probably thinking, I want my family with me. I, they're selfish. They're not thinking of anybody else yeah. but themselves. And that yeah. is, that's typical in familiacide with men. When men kill their entire families, they usually believe that they're doing a service to their family. Yeah. Which is a sick mind. It is sick. Like you said. Yeah. It's sick and it's selfish. Also... Men who kill their families typically either do not kill their firstborn son or if they do, you know, kill everybody, they are killed a lot less brutally than the whole rest of the family. Okay. Now, I have heard that before. Mm -hmm. I have forgotten about that. So that's a valid point. Right. I I still tend to believe he just was not afraid of his son, but kind of felt I don't know, maybe a little bit in a coward's way, like, well, I can't really do anything about him. I'm going to send him away. Right. But I can take out the rest of them. That's just my yeah. personal opinion. I think it's funny that you and I don't have the same theory on it. We disagree, which is great. But I do see you have some valid points. So I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe. Right. But. And you do too. And in fact, years later, Arthur said, if I had been there that day, he would not have killed my family. Yeah. So, you know, back in those days, there was no crime scene Cleanup crews. Right. Obviously. So there were these huge blood stains everywhere. So there was so much blood that friends came in that night Mm -hmm. after they had taken the bodies. They actually took shovels and shoveled up some of the standing blood and put it in buckets and buried it in the yard. And I would think that's from, I mean, how many victims were in that house? One, two, three, five. Right. And and then they brought the girls in. Oh, yeah. And the, and, the, and the bludgeoning. I mean, there's a lot of blood from head trauma. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were very curious about, I don't know, the Lawsons. Like, how could this dad kill their little kids on Christmas yeah. morning? People were fascinated. I don't guess that's changed much because... We kind of are, too. I mean, we're telling the story. Right. Yeah. But people were fascinated with, you know, with murder. And so curious people were actually like trespassing to go to the Lawson house to see this murder scene for themselves. And I'm not talking like one or two people. I mean, hundreds. And they were taking like anything that they could for souvenirs, which is so weird. Yeah, that is weird. So one person scooped up some of Fanny's blood. From off of the porch and put it in a jar. Whoa, that's weird. They would take raisins from Marie's raisin cake and sell them later or keep them and pass them down. Pass them down to their kids. Yes. This is uh, a family heirloom. Yeah, weird. That's weird. It is. Um, I mean, I don't want to judge them too harshly. I mean, again, we are doing a true crime podcast. We're telling the story. There's obviously a fascination. And we went to go. And we ourselves, we went to go visit that graveyard and borderline trespassed to go see the graveyard. Okay. We we freely admit that right now. (laughs) Yes. 
But I do think I would draw the line at scooping up someone's blood and putting it in a jar or even taking raisins off of a cake to keep as a souvenir. I would like to think that I would not do those things. I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't think so. But, you know, you never know. Now, this, the blood, no, I would not do that, of course. And this, I don't think I would do this either. Like two days later, the dogwood tree that Charlie had leaned against to Mm -hmm. shoot himself was stripped. There was nothing there pieces off of it until it was literally gone okay oh wow okay bricks from the chimney oh charlie's guns pieces of wood anything that people could literally pick up Mm -hmm. and take they were taken as a as a souvenir okay and some of those things okay i can kind of get that um right but the blood in the jar and the raisins off of the cake those two things to me are just really beyond i don't know it's a little weird yeah Okay, so a couple of weeks later, Marion, Charlie's brother, he had an idea. You know, he was worried about his nephew. How was he going to pay off the farm? What was he going to do? He was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And Marion did really take, take care of Arthur after his parents died. He had this idea that was very controversial. He ran an ad in a newspaper that said that he was going to be charging people 25 cent for a guided tour of the house, the barn area where the girls were murdered, and they would walk out to the pines where Charlie had killed himself. Okay. Yeah, on, on the surface, that might sound a little tacky and maybe looks greedy or whatever. But on the other hand, you just said how many people were coming and doing that anyway. Yes. And so if they're going to do it anyway, then yeah, uh, maybe charge them and make some money off of that to help support this 16 year old boy who has had his life turned upside down right he um you know he saw that they were coming he saw that they were interested and he had as many as 500 people a day come to do those tours and it lasted for three years so people were fascinated they still are i mean look at it we're still telling the story that's right the next year in 1930 the Carolina Buddies came out with a murder ballad called The Murder of the Lawson Family, and it became a Columbia Record top hit. When Arthur was older and he would get depressed, because I'm sure he would get depressed. I would imagine he would struggle with that the rest of his life. They said that he would lock himself in a room. This is a rumor, mm-hmm. but they said that he would lock himself in a room with a bottle of whiskey and listen to that song over and over again. Oh, that makes you feel so bad for him. It does. And Marion, he would actually have the Carolina Buddies come out and do a little concert and sing their sing the wow. <laughs> Lawson family murder ballad. Wow. To the yeah, to the people taking the tour. I will say that with the money that was made from those tours, that Arthur was able to pay off the farm and Marion got him a vehicle. So in a time, you know, this was the Great Depression. Yes. And during a really hard time, Arthur did not have to worry about money. He was doing okay because they made a lot of money. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. So another thing that the entrepreneur Marion did was he put together a Lawson family exhibit for the Mount Airy County Fair and also came to where Melody and I live to Asheboro to the Randolph County Fair. And oh, brought that I exhibit. did not know that. Yeah, and I'm probably others too, but those are just two that I know for sure. Do you know what year that was? 
I don't. I, th- I do think it was the 30s. Yeah. Maybe 1930. So just a year later, maybe. Right. Oh, wow. So in that exhibit, he had Marie's raisin cake. Oh, goodness. He had the stove that it was cooked in and one of Charlie's guns. Arthur was even there a time or two because, you know, people were fascinated with him. Right. You know, he, it was almost sad, like like he was part of a sideshow or something. Yeah. He was a surviving I wonder if he member. ever regretted doing it. Marion? Uh, Arthur. I wonder if he ever regretted taking part in that. I don't know. From what it sounds like to me, he just really did the best he could. Right. Arthur did end up getting married to a beautiful girl named Nina Bibby. I hope I hope I'm um, pronouncing that right. It's B I B E Y. Um, Bibby. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Bibby. Bibby. I'm yeah. not sure. So one Reddit user wrote that Nina loved to dance and that she had won dance contests in Greensboro, Winston Salem, and Walnut Cove. Oh wow! She also loved to garden. She grew beautiful roses. And she and Arthur both, they shared a love of going to the movies. That's sweet. I was hoping he would have a happy ending after all he's been through. So I like hearing that. Yeah, I'm really glad that he did find love. Now, I think it was strained. Okay. I think that after losing so much, Mm -hmm. he had a really hard time living happily ever after. Yeah, well, I can imagine. I mean, how would you ever get over? I mean, you're not going to get over that grief. No. Um, But how would you... Live a normal life. Exactly. But I have high hopes for him, so. Well, they did have four children together, so he did pass down that family name. And another theory for Mm -hmm. why Charlie left him alive was was that he he may have wanted Arthur to pass down the family name. And he did do that. So I think that Arthur and Nina loved each other very much, but I think it was hard. Okay. They fought a lot. It was pretty volatile. Arthur had become an alcoholic. That's and, understandable, and too. That, yeah. Right. I think he was a lot of fun. I know he had a lot of friends. I think he was just, everybody loved him. I think everybody tried to take care of him and befriend him. You can help but feel bad for him. Right. And I think he was a good, you know, good guy, but he just had a lot of demons. Understandably so. I can't imagine that he probably ever got out from underneath those. They didn't have counseling and grief counseling right. back then. He you just had to suck it up and move on. Yeah. So I'm sure he did the best he could, but And then so 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 tragically, he was killed um in a motor vehicle accident in nineteen forty five at just thirty two years old. Okay, that was not the happy ending I wanted you to give me. No. I wanted him to live happily ever after with his wife. Even if it was hard, I wanted him to I know. Yeah. That's really, that's a bad end. And Nina, she picked up her children and she moved to California. She died in the 80s and her children are still there today. Okay. So she, you know, I think she just needed a new start, a new life. And she found that for her and her kids. So she didn't have family there already? No. She just went as clear across the U.S. as she could get, I guess. She did. And I guess it was a reach to want a happy ending for him. I mean, there's not going to be a happy ending, but I wanted an okay ending. Right. And that makes me sad that it just ended still so horribly. Yeah, it's so sad. So this one is hard and it's heavy and so sad. And we want justice. And there really there are just not many answers. No. As far as justice goes, like we would like to see. 
there's not that either. But this is, you know, a reminder that those things don't always come the side of heaven. Right. And sometimes we just have to wait. So let me leave you with a verse of the Carolina Buddy song that says, They were buried in a crowded grave while the angels watched above. Come home, come home, my little ones, to a land of peace and love. Yeah. Mm. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's, yeah, that's a hard so note to, la- to leave on, isn't it? Yeah. Those sure were some hard times. Oh, yes, they were. If you enjoyed today's episode, and even if you didn't, we're shamelessly asking you to go to your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Even if it's just one sentence, that helps so much to get our show noticed in a sea of other podcasts. We appreciate every listener more than you know. 